Welcome, this is episode five. I am with Ryland Presenti in Starbucks, and I doubt they're going to give any promotion to this. It would be dope if they were to, you know, sponsor this podcast. No, it wouldn't. Starbucks. Yeah, well, I wouldn't mind having iced chai latte. Okay. Oh, damn, just throws me you into the box. Right, you were just talking about protesting, like, Starbucks. Yo, Starbucks, like, I know you fucked up, <laughs> but I wouldn't mind some, some advertisement. Uh, corporate sponsor, and then it's all like, oh shit. Um, <laughs> so, oh yeah, feel free to introduce yourself. I always have issues with that. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't reached the apex of that. But yeah, I'm here with Rylan Vicente, and she can introduce herself. Um, got a Rylan Vicente in the share, touching in the share, top of hand, brushes chin, toadlini, dashi chade, sendrikene, dashinele. Is Rylan. I maternally am from Sawmill, and paternally, my family is from Clagato. So, yeah, that's who I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rylan has, I guess, credibility, but also she's known as the artsy, I don't want to say artsy person, but she is very creative in the community. She's painted murals before. Can you talk about the murals that you've painted? Um, I've painted a mural in Sawmill. Um, that's like where I live at. And so, um, I made, do you want me just to talk about like the context of it? Yeah, or yeah, when I did yeah. it? Or? You know, just give some background to what the mural, the when it was painted, why it was painted, and what influenced you to paint that. Right. So, um, when I first moved to Sawmill with my grandma, like I moved there because I was tired of transitioning um, in like from Phoenix to Santa Fe because I go to school. And so I just decided to move in with my grandma um, who lives by herself out there. And so um, as we're out there, she has, she has one home that she currently lives in and then she has another home um, that she's trying to move back into. So, as we're trying to transition into her old home, her original home, um, we seek, like, a lot of help from our local relatives and stuff like that. So, as we're asking for help from our relatives that, like, I barely got to meet um, not too long ago, like, within the past couple years, I've noticed, like, um, different kinds of things that just go on in the community of Sawmill. So just different kinds of structures of domestic violence, like, I mean, there's, like, sex workers, there's rape, there's um, bootleggers that sell drugs and alcohol. Um, so just 
those different kinds of like interactions in sawmill and like the dependency on those kinds of substances just in order to kind of be satisfied with like your current situation so um there was one day where one of my aunts was supposed to help us at the the house that we're renovating and so when we're when I went to go pick her up she was all like beat up and like her clothes were all torn she was all bloody and like clearly she had gotten like raped um but she was like really buzzed still and so I I felt like I felt like there was nothing that I could do as far as like holding that person accountable that did that to her but I know that a lot of women in my community even my own my own bloodline they've been sexually harassed over time and so I wanted to do a mural that spoke about what I had experienced that day but just even structurally the different kinds of things that contribute to violence and poverty and so that's why I created that mural is to not only bring awareness but to try and bridge some kind of like like a reconnection to indigeneity in that kind of way because people they don't really grow their food that much anymore out there and that has a lot to do with like our kinship and us coexisting and understanding like the prosperity of life and the kinds of um, energy that goes into reciprocity and those kinds of ideas so yeah that's what the mural is about but I mean it, it just touches on so many different subjects like when I, when I was doing the mural just even the location the location of the mural is um, where the sawmill used to be so sawmill is like named after like a sawmill which um, they like processed a lot of wood through there and so sawmill depended on like their economy depended on the existence of the sawmill and so when the sawmill relocated to Navajo that's when like families started experiencing all different kinds of um, just like poverty in that that kind of way and I don't know like uh, I look at the the male lineage for for me and a lot of men have like died off or they've committed suicide or they've lost their lives to drugs or alcohol and I just think about that connection to the sawmill and how it's like a it's depressing for some people so just to just to do something with that location I think that um, with the mural for me murals space and place is very important because my focus in school is actually sculpture like I'm not I'm actually not like a painter like I'm actually a sculptor so I like to pay attention to the concept that contributes to location and yeah so that's what that mural is about no that's really interesting because I too am interested in a, in a way with space I, I do want to study geography and so how I interact with it is a, a very political way yeah but again you know the, the saying goes everything's political which I do agree with yeah and so when you when you do paint on sawmill in sawmill it definitely is I, it serves to me as a way to like bring awareness but also in a way to reclaim it 
Right. Are there other things besides that? Like, are there other things that, you know, inspire your artwork? Because you do talk about, you mentioned structural issues. Yeah. I think that oftentimes, like, I, I just get so frustrated with how, like, all of these problems are kind of, like, put out there. And it kind of, like, I feel like I plateau when I when I bring about, like, certain kinds of issues, and I always want to attach them to, like, a solution. Um, I want to be solution-based because I don't want to re-traumatize anybody. Like, I know what it feels like to make artwork about something very heavy, and then afterwards you're just kind of like, now what? But in, like, in a cultural sense, like, once you do something, like, it'll always balance back out. The Hajo concept of life. So... Yeah, but the, the even the concept, like the imagery of the mural is like a woman and she's like oversized and there's like positive space and there's negative space. And so um, it's, it's really basic. It's really basic so that way people can pay attention to the surroundings and like look around at like the different kinds of color coordination of, of the surroundings in Sawmill because Sawmill is like a, it's a really sacred place. I've never been to Sawmill, but I know it's, I think it's considered one of, a very remote area. Um, and the history behind, just from what I've read studying the Navajo Nation economy is that you're, you pretty much nailed it, is that, you know, as a way of transitioning people out of a subsistence economy, you know, mm-hmm. them maintaining themselves, being independent, self-sufficient mm-hmm. into a wage labor. And I definitely can see how that brings poverty about because then, you know, money isn't enough to sustain themselves. Right. Um, and so it's like we've all endured, like, poverty. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, every person of color was born into poverty. Mm-hmm. So it's nothing new to me. Like, I mean, whether it was, like, in this in the urban area or if it was, like, in a rural area. But just to know, like, when you go to school and you learn about, like, what, like, indigenous struggles are, it's just kind of like, okay, so now I know these problems and I have... Um, like a, a skill with artwork what you know how am I supposed to contribute to that bridge of like liberation I think a lot of your artwork is pretty profound I mean I've always been a fan of murals I actually wanted to be a muralist uh, but I, I, I it's not I just haven't really pursued it uh, but it, I, I do think art plays a really big role in that because it brings awareness and I do like the fact that you're willing to go beyond that and actually have solutions. Yeah, the it's funny though because even the the imagery dates back to like before um, the mural was even made because um, I made a print and the print says like knowledge is power and so like at that time I was going through like this like angry brown girl phase and <laughs> so like I was just learning about gentrification gentrification within contemporary art so like more so like fine arts and street art and like originally like I used like my my original interaction with art was through graffiti and that's how I had started like in high school um and so when you learn about all these different kinds of um I like to call them like illusions of boundaries and stuff within contemporary art and contemporary art is often like stemmed from street art it makes me think about like what is considered powerful art and where is powerful art placed at and so I used to live in Los Angeles for like a second and um, 
I thought of somebody that like I looked up to for a very long time, which was Shepard Ferry. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think about like liberal agenda, even neoliberal agenda, and how like a lot of his artwork kind of speaks to that in a way. And he's often like speaking for other people, and that's something that like I don't I don't appreciate is when like yeah he's a street artist but there's a lot of privilege that comes from him and he's just speaking for a lot of people about things that he may not like completely understand and so it's all it almost seems like tokenism in a way and so he had made this um print of Angela Davis uh from the Black Panther Party that had said um I think it was like black power or like black beauty or something like that. And I was it just made me think like what is powerful art, you know? And who is the audience of these powerful pieces or what's considered powerful? Mm-hmm. And and these these pieces they're put in like urban environments where people they don't they don't give a shit about like what powerful art is. They'd mm-hmm. rather just wear it on a t-shirt or they'd rather just have it as a sticker. Yeah. And I don't know. I was just like, so he's using this icon and this imagery in a way for like individual profit, you know? Yeah, very commodification. Yeah. And so I, I, I like overanalyze everything. And so I was like, well, I mean, because I don't appreciate that, I'm going to put it back in the narrative and, and really try to utilize what powerful art is and put it in a space where it could be considerably utilized. And so that's when um, I appropriated that print of Angela Davis. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't realize that was Angela Davis. Yeah, like the face structure. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, the, the bone structure was like modified a little because um, you have to change like an image 50% or else you can get like in some trouble. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's what my, one of my teachers told me is, like, you have to change an image by 50% or else, like, the trademark and, like, all this law stuff, you could get in trouble. They'll come it. after you? Yeah, they would, but I don't think he would, you know? Yeah. Or um, it would prove to your point that he is definitely into the commodification of Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, I know he's not going to do anything. Well, I hope he doesn't, you know? But, yeah. <laughs> he listens to this podcast. And it's no, just but like... I visited his studio before, yeah. so. <laughs> so, yeah. So shout out to him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you could do do shout out to him I'll do shout out to Starbucks right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean a lot of what you said is, is very I think is very interesting and it, it is to me very thought provoking because you seem to interrogate like the one what is power and then how does power relate to art and then what does it mean to put these powerful pieces of art in a, in a, in a space and what happens mm-hmm. you know and I think that's the beauty of like street art Mm-hmm. I, I actually started my Instagram uh, mainly for the undertaking of taking photos of Phoenix uh, murals and art mm-hmm. because I, I noticed that there'd be a piece that I really liked and then, you know, six months later it'd be gone and I'm like, wow, there's like, I, I wanted to do that. Like I wanted to, so that people can go through my Instagram and see everything. Uh, eventually I stopped doing that because I just... I don't know, I got selfish. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I do think there's a lot of power in street art. It's definitely a, a space. It's an activity, but it also is a space for, like, resistance to me. Right, but even, like, street art, it's, like, it gets taken down so fast, like mm-hmm. you said. And, like, 
I mean, people are in control of the different kinds of street art that we see, like, everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, they pick and choose what they want you to see. And so they'd rather have, like, Banksy or Shepherd Fairy Mm -hmm. up drawing a picture of like all these women that are resisting different kinds of things Mm -hmm. as opposed to like a brown woman you know what I mean like doing a mural that size Mm -hmm. and like it's just there's just all these different kinds of I don't know boundaries I guess so yeah like I mean I even knowing like how political art school is and just the different kinds of structures that exist there I really wanted to push those boundaries of contemporary art because I don't like to call myself a contemporary artist or to be, like, to be... Just to show my artwork and have it be seen in a gallery setting. I think that, like, people of all of all salaries, they're, like, deserving of art, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, regardless of location and accessibility. So, that's... I don't know. I just, I, I really genuinely care for street art yeah. and the audience that it can get to. How's your experience been in art school? Is it, has it like, have you, you, you talk about these illusions of boundaries. Mm-hmm. Have you encountered these boundaries and have you been able to kind of go beyond them? Or do you still see structures in place, whether it's rules, regulation, or just people who can't change themselves? I think that, um, as far as art school goes, the specific art school that I go to, so they teach you about like indigenous struggle, and then they expect you to portray that in a, in a 3D form some kind of way. And the audience to that, or the art economy out there in Santa Fe, is like a bunch of rich white people, and they dig that shit. Like they, they're so into like romanticism of yeah. indigenous people, whether that's like our struggle, our aesthetic, whatever it is. Like, these white people will pay to see us portrayed how, you know what I mean? Like, how we really feel. And so, I mean, that's that's just the way I feel, like, artwork is in art school out there, like, in Santa Fe. But just even the environment of art school is pretty competitive um, because there's that environment of art market. Um, it's, like, almost... We're almost, like, cut out to be these Indian market artists that, you know what I mean? Like, if you don't fit into Indian market, then how are you supposed to be successful when you graduate? Like, what are you going to do with yourself when you graduate? And if you don't have that figured out, then, I mean, like, your art is pretty much, like, pointless in a way. I think this is, like, demonstrates the... I don't want to say resiliency, but the, the way capitalism can adapt itself mm-hmm. and that like, you know, you, whatever the art school that you go to, as much as it wants to be like indigenous resistance, you know, it won't go as far as anti-capitalism. No, it won't. It really won't. And like even the indigenous liberal studies program is very neoliberal. And so, I mean, I really wanted to like get like dip my feet into those classes and stuff. But mm-hmm. even the like the peak the the guy that runs the whole program he used to be a judge like you know what I mean and like very legalistic yeah so his views of like what liberation can and cannot be is like very limited 
and I just I don't agree with it and like I mean I, I still have it passed like my intro to indigenous studies class yeah. <laughs> it's pretty I've taken it three times yeah. and so I think that like I've heard it enough times of like you know what I mean like what what we can and cannot do to make a difference in our communities and mm-hmm. I just I don't I just can't hear him when he's speaking. Yeah, I think that's... I mean, I don't want to talk shit about all of, like, indigenous intros, but it's definitely very neoliberal, you know, like this... I, like, even the forms of economic development is, like... Or it's... it's and it's that's why I down. appreciate the info shop so mm-hmm. much, is because, like, I've never been exposed to, like, radical information like mm-hmm. that that's not censored, that's not, like, afraid to hurt somebody's feelings, or that's not, like... Well, everybody should be inclusive of like you know, like all stories should all, be heard. Like all ideas are not bad, or you know, yeah. Can can you talk all about lives this? Matter. <laughs> uh, don't 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 say that near Starbucks. <laughs> They're not gonna agree with you. Um, but yeah, can you explain what the info shop is? Because I I don't. Some people might know it, and right. you know, you are one of the members of the info shop. Um, well, the info shop is in Winderock, Arizona. It is a radical organizing space. Um, we have like this little brochure that includes like all the different kinds of things that we of what we do, but we really just try to hold space for people to organize um, towards like indigenous liberation. Um, we like to call ourselves uh, indigenous feminists, but I don't think that like as a collective everybody really subscribes to a certain label. Mm-hmm. Just like as I don't call myself like completely like a full-on artist I think that without like hierarchy and all these different kinds of things we're kind of just human beings at the end of the day Mm -hmm. but yeah that's what the info shop is is um it's a place where we serve coffee but it's also like a mini library um with context around indigenous liberation I feel like I've been saying that word a lot well just this it is, reminds uh, me of that meme that like recently came out. <laughs> so you keep that. saying, or, or it was it, it was it um the meme that I made for Resi yeah. Red, yeah yeah where it was like is yeah. this or it was like acting solely on um, uh, intergenerational trauma, uh, culture and nonprofits as yeah. opposed to organizing against uh, or just dis- organizing and dismantling capitalism. Is this indigenous liberation? You know, I appreciate the the info shop. I go there. Coffee's good, even though I'm not sophisticated enough to understand the difference between Folgers and pour over coffee and French press. And French press. I'm just like, does it wake me up? That's all I need. Has your art changed since you've been, you know, at the info shop, or has it? Have you been able to articulate more of your thoughts just based on it? I or, think my artwork is always evolving and always changing but it's just fallen into the right hands of where it's supposed to be at like I this past semester I got kicked out of art school like I got suspended um and so like to be (laughs) at the info shop and like work there full time like to have different kinds of art workshops I mean I haven't done a lot of art workshops but I've had like some youth youth empowerment um involvement and stuff like that so I just, I really like what I do already, and I feel like it really challenges the way that I view school and graduating, and, like, so I'm supposed to graduate with this Bachelor's of Fine Arts degree, and then what, you know? Like, I'm supposed to get this piece of paper, and then I'm supposed to do something with it then. I just feel like I'm already doing what I'm supposed to be doing in this point in time. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, that's something... 
I mean, I guess it just depends. I mean, art school is one of, like, if you're an artist, you kind of learn how to be independent. And you learn how, you know, most of the artists that I know, they kind of recognize, like, this is just a piece of paper. Whereas the difference for me, it's, it's like, I need that piece of paper to get a job sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it shows how, I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this, how... Mm, you know, for scratch that thought, but with artists, I've noticed that they're they can be self, they can be um, independent. They can support themselves through their artwork, and I, for one, try to pay everybody. You know what I think they're not what I think, but you know whatever they ask for for their art. Yeah. Because besides having a soft spot for art, in my heart, I like I said, I recognize a lot of the resistance in it. The fact that it, you know, it can provide, it can help people kind of see beyond see through illusions and provide different perspectives yeah. uh, one of my favorite artists uh, was I was a big fan of Banksy you know I was like oh stencils I can do that mm-hmm. and I, I tried it a little bit but then I was just like you know what this isn't I mean it's not that it wasn't it wasn't for me it's just like there are people who can do this better mm-hmm. and you know they, they they have it better than I do or not better than I do but they can do it and who am I to take up that space I mean yeah I still draw on everything um, but I, my, I think my, my destiny lies not as being an artist. But it would be nice to have an art show. But again, maybe that's it. Like, that's my mindset, too, is something you can critique. Is, like, does it do, like, is the end game an art show? You know, do you need to have an art show? I think that people should challenge themselves at the end of the day, even mm-hmm. though you don't consider yourself an artist. Because, like, like culturally, like, art is just what people are. Like, if we weren't working so hard to provide money for ourselves or like materialistic things then we would be in our free time just kind of like trying to figure out what we're gonna do with ourselves for the day (laughs) and so like yeah like I don't know I mean recently I've been getting trying to get into like permaculture and those kinds of things because um like being at art school we have these other classes that we have to take like uh, climate justice I mean we don't have to take them but I choose to take them and so I get a lot of anxiety recently about climate change yeah and how like I mean my clan is like three-fourths water and so when you think about kinship and your relationship to water and drought and like water contamination it just makes you think of like the metaphor to yourself because Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all made of these elements that we eat and what we drink. So, like, what does that say about ourselves if these elements are being contaminated or if they're being extracted or exploited? Like, I mean, it just makes me think about my responsibilities and, like, what my like what I have to do with my artwork in order to respect those those things which contribute to me being able to make artwork. I like that. I like what you said because, you know, my belief is that capitalism is such an inefficient system and it wastes a lot of, not just like resources, but even like labor as well, that we could be having a different type of economic system that isn't focused on work that we'd have more time for non-work. So, that, like, green capitalism? No, 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 no. <laughs> there would be no profit. <laughs> I'm like, oh, turn this off. Jeez. Uh, go uh, this is an awkward moment. <laughs> Cue awkward silence. No, but more of, like... Record scratch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely a 
communist when it comes to things like that. And the main reason would be is I would like to not have to worry about, I don't mind quote unquote working, you know, to provide for myself and, you know, so that everybody eats and everybody has a nice place to stay. No one's below the poverty line. There's not excessive um, wealth inequality because, you know, when that usually happens, our workday is technically would be not 12 to 8 hour to 12 hour days, but we can spend more time just doing creative stuff, kind of building ourselves as human beings, mm-hmm. transforming ourselves through our work and creativity. I don't that kind of sounds liberal, but Mark said it too, so I'm, I think we're good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but point being is just that I think a lot of, like, it may, capitalism makes it difficult for artists. It does. And that's why I have like no money, you know, but yeah. I still manage to make things happen some mm-hmm. kind of way, like whether that's through like trade economy, mm-hmm. gift economy, whatever. No, that's that's really cool because I, I one of the reasons why I have you on this podcast was so that I feel like our conversation, I mean, any conversation about art is dope to me. Mm-hmm. I like hearing people's creativity side, but also the fact that you relate it to like these larger issues, you know, yeah. and and we can't really we shouldn't ignore those issues and we should at least as artists try to like bring them to the surface and have some kind of god damn it starbucks um we should have some type of solution for it so are there are there any current artists that you look up to right now um I have a friend, a close friend. His name is Vile, mm-hmm. and um, Vile one. On yeah. Instagram? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was supposed to come yesterday to my house to go uh, spray paint by the mural. Yeah. But he got hung up in Albuquerque or Santa uh, Fe or something like that. So yeah, shout out to Vile. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's <laughs> hashtag <a, laughs> hashtag Vile. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's he's. I've seen his work around Phoenix, and I follow him on Instagram. Oh dang. Oh, I'm all one degree from him. Just mm-hmm. like, hey, uh, can you set up, put him on podcast? Just right. kidding. <laughs> no. That'd be cool too. I, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely open to like having different artists. Um, yeah. Is there like, you know, were there any besides Shepard? What was his name again? I forgot. I always Shepard Fairy. Shepard. I almost said Shepard Bailey. Mm-hmm. Um, Shepard. F- that guy. <laughs> Are there anybody else that you still kind of look up to, or has it just been like, nah, I'm kind of done with those kind of mainstream... I, it's weird, too, calling him a mainstream artist, because, mm-hmm. you know, but is there anybody else? Um, there's, like, El Mac. I really appreciate uh, his gesture and the line that he uses. Yeah. Because with all of the... With the... Jeez, um, that ice is so loud. Um... <laughs> Also, fuck the ice. Right? <laughs> fuck the ice. Announcement <laughs> <laughs> speaker. Um, oh, but yeah, El Mac. He's really cool. I've always looked up to him, like, with his line work. Yeah. Because, like, I love lines. Like, uh, you'll see with the, the picture that we take. But gesturally, like, when I draw still life, like, I just, I love lines. And I used to not be able to draw before I went to art school. Like, in my first three classes that I took of drawing, like I literally cried like afterwards like I had to like they were like draw this like piece of cloth and I just didn't understand like how you're supposed to draw the folds and yeah. the, the bends of like like how are you supposed to show like something that's 3D on like a flat piece of paper yeah. it just it didn't it didn't make sense in my head and like everybody else was so good at it and and like they had experience with drawing and mm-hmm. I had no experience with drawing I mean, I did, you know, like, to a certain extent, but to still life was, like, challenging for me. So that's why I appreciate his murals. But I think the proportions are 
yeah, the, the proportions of um, his mural, they kind of make me a little, um, a little skeptical because with, I don't know, like I just kind of have a thing against muralists that use um, projectors. Oh, okay. Because I really appreciate like people that can get the perception down. You yeah. know what I mean? For like what they really see. Mm-hmm. And like to have a can control and be able to like portray that from a tiny piece of paper because I did that with my mural. Yeah. Like I didn't have a projector that was that mm-hmm. big. And so I was just like, okay, it's obviously possible. You just need to put the time aside yeah. to do it. And so, I mean, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I think that there are a lot of artists that I still have yet to meet that make art for a different purpose besides capital. So. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I've always remembered was... Or like reputation, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, because there's, there's artists out there that like to speak about like all this kinds of context mm-hmm. but they expect like a shock culture you know what I mean yeah. they expect to like wow people or you know yeah. and like that's not like I feel like shock culture is immature mm-hmm. and it's easy you know to like scare somebody to wow somebody yeah I, I think when it came to me and art it was I started with anime <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think like most young boys do. Uh, it was definitely anime. And then, like you, I had issues doing 3D. So I like, I was just like, God, oh, I hate this. But I mean, I learned again just through anime. Mm-hmm. I said that three times already. Uh, but I I've always wondered, like, if I really took the time to go for it. And I still do. I mean, this, eventually, I'm, I'm, I, I painted a lot and I used... Um, what are those soft pastels mm-hmm. I love the way they blend together and mm-hmm. I love the colors and mm-hmm. shout out to uh, uh, Jeff and Avery <laughs> for teaching me how to do that I mean those are the main people that taught me how to paint so technically they're like disciples of disciples yeah or no they're um, <laughs> they're, they, they got their style from Shanto yeah I believe Shanto so I guess it was Shanto then it was Jeff so there's Shanto, the, the main source of the color, this color style and blending, and then Ave, Jeff, and I think Sai. Mm-hmm. And then I learned from Jeff and Ave. So a lot of my artwork, the way I blend things, comes from them, and it comes from Shanto. So in a way, I'm like... I like his lines. Yeah, I'm like... I'm like Shanto's, like, art grand Che or something, or Che, you know, like... Yeah. You know, but... You know, and, and I just got really busy, and now my main focus is school and kind of political organization organizing and I do but I do appreciate artists and I understand what you're talking about when there are people kind of who are like yeah I'm gonna shock you with this and then it's like it's cool the first time but then when it becomes their only main style of work you kind of just like yeah it's it kind of loses it. it it loses its it loses its um power really fast right and especially when they're seen as the people who do that you know and yeah, and then, like, you have this big responsibility of, like, having to shock people even more than you did mm-hmm. before. And you, in like, for me, like, that, there, like, I really don't like that validation that comes behind, like, trying to make something more powerful than you've made before. Yeah. And that was something that I had struggled with in art school, and that's what my teachers would always tell me is, like, you're, one day you're just going to power out. And I have yet to power out, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, I I create, like, based upon what my energy is trying to, 
I want to say, like, detour me in a way. Because, like, if I make something, like, one time I made a final that was, like, 30 minutes before class. Yeah. And then one time I made a final that was, like, weeks before class. Yeah. So, like, all these different kinds of pieces, they come at different kinds of times. There's no, like, set time of, like, okay, well, this is how long this is going to take me. So your art isn't, like, set in a temporal kind of... No, it's not. It's really not. And, like, that can be the frustrating part is because I will wait and wait for something creatively to come to me. And that's why I draw these lines is because usually it's a part of my creative process before something bigger um, happens. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But I, I think these lines, they're, like... They remind me of, like, the first time that I looked into a microscope, mm-hmm. you know, and realizing, like, what coexistence really is um, and how, like, we don't really see anything on our hands, but, like, when we look at the germs, mm-hmm. like, in a microscope, you can see all these different kinds of, like, shapes and colors of, like, different kinds of organisms that and germs that are just floating on your hand. <laughs> so that, I think that's where these lines come from. I, I, I... Yeah, I was gonna. I forgot what I was gonna say. Right, I, I don't know. I I was looking up and then I saw charcoal and I was like, oh yeah, I use charcoal. And then I was like, oh wait, come on, bro, you totally forgot what you were gonna say. <laughs> oh man, hold on. This is. I might have to like edit out the silence. <laughs> uh, but when did you kind of realize that you wanted to do art? Is there like? Is, I mean, maybe it's always just been there. But was there like a moment where you're like, yeah, art's gonna be where it's at for me? Um, I. After high school, um, my my mom, she passed away in 2008. And so when I graduated high school, I got this, um, I forget what it's called, but you get money. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? What's that called? Uh, but anyways, yeah. like I got like a self, like a, what's it called? Like insurance kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Life insurance or something? Yeah. No. And so... Um, when I finished high school, I got accepted to USC for mechanical engineering. Mm-hmm. And Damn. So, like, yeah, I'm, like, really good at math. And, <laughs> <laughs> by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that's what I was supposed to go to school for. But because I got that money, um, they told me that I didn't qualify for financial aid. Yeah. And, like, it was just enough money to cover, like, a semester. Yeah. You know? Not even, like, with room and board, but just tuition. Mm-hmm. And so... I, I had bought a vehicle, like a 1972, like, Chevy truck. Yeah. Which is, like, really not efficient at all. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I don't know why I got it. Because, maybe because I grew up, like, in an older truck when I was younger. But it just makes me feel safe, too. Um, but, yeah, anyways, so I, I moved out to Los Angeles when I was 18 um, with that money. And because I didn't go to school, I decided to put it towards um, just living out there and getting getting grounded out there. Um, when I lived with my dad in high school, it was really rough because my dad was going through like a like an alcoholism kind of phase. Yeah. And I mean, he still kind of is, um, but we had like a really abusive relationship. And so I just needed to get away. So I like forced myself to live out there and um, I got more like I sharpened my street art skills when I was out there and I met different kinds of writers um, and they showed me like just different kinds of ways to bomb you know what I mean like to like climb different kinds of stuff so it was it was interesting and I mean you don't think of it like as a career from then on 
but it really does make you think of like what like um, a, a public mural is. Mm-hmm. And so I had visited my aunt one summer in Gallup, and she's she's a doctor at um, the, the Gallup Hospital, mm-hmm. and her husband is a sculptor. And so he was like, wow, you know, you're like, you're really good at like what you do. You're really good at um, this artwork. You should go to school for it. And I'm just like, I barely have any money like to feed myself. Like, how am I going to afford like art school, especially in Santa Fe? Mm-hmm. Um, and my uncle was like, no, like it's actually like affordable. And it's like an institution meant for natives. So I was like, uh, okay, like we could apply and so my aunt did like the whole application for me mm-hmm. like <laughs> I didn't even really want to go because I was just so intimidated by the thought of like art school mm-hmm. and like how you have to put a portfolio together and get accepted um, and but I got in and that's when um, I was just kind of like okay well I could try out this school thing because my grandma um, she's she the one that I live with now she's been a teacher for like maybe 40 years or something like that and um she gets really mad like when I'm not in school mm-hmm. so I just kind of wanted to make her happy too you know and go to school get it done and as I'm out of school like I'm just like this really big disappointment to like my family yeah. so just going to school kind of just knocks out all that stuff yeah. but yeah as I'm at school I do all this different kinds of stuff I get traumatized by like all the things we learn about indigenous environments and I'm like okay well now I have to do something with that information or else I'm just living in the bubble of I think what they want us to think yeah. <laughs> is that we can't do anything to change it so yeah yeah I think you know that's something I learned again my my line of path is a little bit I'm still kind of stuck in the mindset of like I need to get a PhD you know but kind of like that paper but for me it's I've learned it's not necessarily it's cheesy to say this but it's not necessarily the end or you know the the whole like it's not the destination it's the journey I think I've applied that to the way I go to grad <laughs> school you know I'm like I'm just doing this so I learn more about it and that I can come back because I, I think ultimately I will become a teacher on the reservation yeah me too that's what I'm saying like I feel like I've just always been like meant to be this teacher or mm-hmm. something because like, I really love teaching kids like I've had a couple workshops in Sawmill like spray paint workshops mm-hmm. with kids and it's just so much fun yeah and that's kind of the route now like I mean I, mean, I would like to write a book eventually but I kind of just want to be a teacher and then pass on all the knowledge that I gained through life. To, like, which, like, demographic? Like I think I might do college. Wow. College and high school. You're just going to get all bored of them? Just kidding. No. I don't know. I mean... Just traumatize them? Well, I would... I, I, I mean, I'm a pretty social guy. I think I, I won't be too distant from the youth once I get my PhD. And, you know, I, I learn pretty quickly, you know, the social norms. But I just want to, like... I want to organize for sure. But I want to have, like, a way of supporting myself, which is probably teaching mm-hmm. or maybe having my own independent radical research group where we do do research for the Navajo Nation, but we do it from a more critical perspective rather than what you see now or what you learn in American Indian studies or indigenous studies. Kind of, Or maybe I, I'm, I'm a little critical of those uh, disciplines because I don't think they're critical enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... A lot of the times what I see is definitely like neoliberalism, very neoliberal, 
ways of development. And I'm like, no, we definitely need more critical and like radical ways of thinking about things. Like, let's re, let's redefine what work is, or let's redefine, you know, how we interact with certain things. Mm-hmm. So, how do you separate yourself from being neoliberal? So I, I so it's it's I'm kind of learning about it right now. I did have. And that's the thing, again, like I said, in the previous interview, episode uh, two, if you're curious, Andrew, Dr. Andrew Curley, or Andrew, he talks about neoliberalism on the Navajo Nation, and it wasn't until I really met, until I met him that he was like, he started to really introduce a theory behind it and what it looks like in real life, because there's a theoretical neoliberalism, and then there's how it's actually uh, manifest itself. Yeah. And I was all I was a fan of local governments, mm-hmm. you know. But the way that local government can be shaped into a neoliberal way of governing people, I was like, oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. So I I try not to think of things. I definitely am against privatization of anything. I am moving away from profit base. Even the term like efficient and effective, like those are those have been attached or to sovereignty. the... sovereignty. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know about that. I mean, it, I, I guess, yeah, maybe, in a way. I, I feel like that's the thing, too. Like, neoliberalism is just a re-articulation of capitalism. And capitalism is just hella, hella adaptable. That's why it's, you know, it's a new system, but it's been really fucking hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it really embeds itself in society. It, it embeds itself in the ideology. You know, now when you talk to Navajos, they're like, they have, like, capitalist, you know, mindsets. Like, the fucking entrepreneur idea like you know I'm like I don't I don't believe in entrepreneurs me neither um so if you're an entrepreneur this is not the podcast for you <laughs> right please uh leave now <laughs> <laughs> you, you can leave it's right. like oh uh, you're not you were never meant to come into this podcast right I would never I I don't believe that they are the best thing for economic development I think that yeah. they open us to you know capital finance capital foreign capital and then that kind of dictates we become dependent on that Unless, I guess, in a way, nationalizing Navajo economies, I think I'd be down with. Um, but and, and democratizing the Navajo economy. So people would vote on it. Like, hold on. So, like, you know, if... That we're, sounds scary. I, don't, I mean, it, it has its setbacks. But it would be democratizing. very... Democratizing. Democratizing. Democratizing, making the economy more democratic. You know, people would vote what they want, what their not, what their government decides to do with the resources. Yeah. So, like, if we do go into solar... So you're voting for Trudy Jackson. No. <laughs> is, she, is, she, is she about that? I'm just kidding. I don't no. know. <laughs> mm. She definitely breaks the status quo. Right. And I haven't really seen any neoliberalism in her platform, but... You know, I'm I'm interested in what she's gonna do and how she does it, but I, again, like I said, it's it's hard to really. I don't want to be too critical at the same time. You I know, know. I, I might register for her. No. Yeah, she's. she's I'm not registered. <laughs> I am registered, I think, uh, and I I'm still a fan of electoral politics. I just don't put all my faith in it. Mm. Uh, I don't. Maybe on like local level and state level, I'm like, all right, there's some use to it. But once on the national level, I'm like, I don't really care. Unless there's like someone who really seems to be the person, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna vote for that person, yeah. but I'm not gonna get upset if they don't win. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how it was with Bernie. Um, but yeah, there's that's my that's where I see myself. I see more I, as a teacher, mm-hmm. you know, telling kids about the Navajo Nation and then giving these ideas and concepts, but also ideally maybe being a research. Because That's the Navajo cool. Nation lacks a lot of research about certain subjects, and we definitely need to go into that. That's why we have the info shop. 
Dang, so we're researchers. Are, right? you because some people, you... some people can't afford to go to school. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And like that's the thing about academia is that mm-hmm. like everybody walks away with these ideas of trying to help everybody, mm-hmm. but some people are not put in positions where they can access that information or they are like in the right environment or mindset to process all that information. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. You know what formal education means and what it how it conducts our thoughts and, and our it's actions. limitations mm-hmm. you know what I mean like yeah yeah I mean yeah I'm just like I'm just in a climate change mindset basically like because I keep having dreams about like I don't know I mean I, I know what carbon cycle is and like carbon footprint and like there's this article that I read it's, this is like about the adaptation print that I made um and that like I really try to get that to a lot of people to understand that like one of these days we're really going to be impacted by climate change and that's like coming around soon it's yeah it's really close actually like within like maybe five years or so like I'd say and so I just want to be ready for that you know what I mean like because majority of my family has migrated to like urban areas Mm -hmm. and they don't know anything about permaculture they like I mean I'm like getting there but I really just keep thinking about like I need to get on my game with, like, watershed restoration, you know what I mean? Like, and that's what I want my senior project to be around, is being, like, restorative or, like, regenerative mm-hmm. with, like, different kinds of trash. And, yeah, I'm going to be making a trash shadow sculpture pretty soon. Yeah, that's a, art show. that was actually what I was going to ask you. Is like, have, based on the mindset that you're in and what you're thinking about, what are the projects that you're going to be doing? Um, the next one is going to be in July, and that's at Gallup Arts 123. Is it going to be J- July 4th? It's at, uh, honoring the... <laughs> honoring yeah, the... Just kidding. Go right. ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, it's it's this uh, art show called, like, Challenge Gallup. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, like, I haven't picked the, the image of, like, what the shadow is going to resemble. Yeah. But it definitely, you know, at the end of the day, it's linked to domestic violence because the earth and how much trash is being made and how many animals and plants are being taken over because of, like, the trash that is out there. I always think, like, who was the person that came up with the idea of, like, landfill, you know? Like, who was the person that was like, oh, let's put all this trash into the ground? Like... I feel like that was a collective thing where they were like, oh shit, what are we going to do with all this trash? And they're like, well, let's just put it in one area. It's like that one um, that one Patrick, you know, in SpongeBob where he was like, why don't we just push the city to the left? <laughs> and then you see them just pushing it. It's like, you know, it's just like one person, maybe a couple people proposed it and then they just went along with it. Yeah. You know, and, you know, that's why capitalism sucks. Um because of it's all the waste it produces, uh, but and all the things it perpetuates. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking and, about. No, I'm just <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why it sucks, but we're we're gonna just keep it simple. Yeah. Well, hopefully, throughout this podcast, we will discuss many more reasons why it sucks. Uh, but I mean, that's the thing too. Like, you you're one of the few artists, or I know a lot of people who are artists, but they tend to kind of take a liberal mindset, mm-hmm. and. I try not to be too critical of them because I feel like they're just going to throw it and be like, well, it's art, man. It's subjective. And so the, for the most part, I haven't really gotten arguments with these artists yet because mm-hmm. some like there's some people who do things that I'm, I, I think are questionable. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like, okay, 
what am I supposed to do? Or I'm sure someone else is the... So I end up just being quiet because I'm just like, ugh, I don't... I mean, is it even worth my time right now? Right. But, you know, we def- there are a lot of cool artists out there who are doing cool things and who are hella anti-capitalist. And they, I don't think they get the recognition they deserve. Mm-hmm. You know, not that, not that art should be based on reputation or anything, but, you know, we should definitely show that there is a, a, a large... There's variety in the artists. Because a lot of people, when they think art, they think of Santa Fe artists, you know... Well, because it's, like, a really big capital. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's third as far as, like, art economy goes. Mm-hmm. Because first is, like, New York, second is San Francisco, then third is Santa Fe. So. I mean, and maybe maybe that'll be the next episode when I bring you back. It's like, let's, let's really discuss the art economy <laughs> and why it's pretty shitty. Or and how much waste it makes. <laughs> I'm talking about your talk. artwork right. and we'll name artists that we think are shit <laughs> and then the a hit list yeah so this is why this person sucks their lines are <laughs> shitty they don't know how to blend and the fucking perspective is always off oh wait and guess what they're capitalists they voted for Trump you know fuck that uh, I mean and, and maybe even eventually like the romanticism of uh, of indigenous struggle I yeah. think is really good because I see people who do that who claim to be anti-capitalist, but they really kind of buy into that whole, like... Oh, they claim to be radical? Like, to me, they're, like, the... Exploitation? Mac- yeah, yeah, like, they're, like, the, the like, activists. Yeah. Except the, the art version of that. Yeah, and see, that's what scares me, is, like, I don't like to just make art about these things. Like, I really like to involve myself with, like, making a positive impact, not only on myself, but... Like, being able to set that example for, like, the younger generations that I know that are, like, watching me, like, my brothers and my sisters, because, I mean, I don't know, I feel like I've always been this, like, support system for them, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of individualism that goes around, you know, just generationally, not to say that, like, oh, that person couldn't have helped that person out, but they're just, you know what I mean? Like, we always have to come from a place of compassion. Yeah, and that's the beauty about, like... I want to say street art is because they don't hide their techniques. They t- they're pretty open about teaching you. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. And there isn't, you know, a sense of individualism. It's like, we're all artists. Here's what I do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it does occur, but... Again, but sometimes think, street art can get that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of, like, the scale of the letters. Like, that's why I just got over letters, like, at the end of the day. I just... Yeah, I was into lettering for a while, but, like, it's like, okay, so my name is next to all these other people that put their name up there. Yeah. You know? Now what? Like, yeah. <laughs> okay, so my name is out there. Yeah, I... And... I... I thought you were talking about, like, when you're putting your big name out there, like, you put, make a big E, and you're like, hey, bro, your E's too big for your status or something. No, I that too. That's what I mean. Oh, that's what you meant. Oh, okay, okay. I, I was like, wait. Um, so if you, do you have a tag name? Um, I had a couple different ones, but you I don't want to put it oh, out okay. there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want, this, the cops are Because sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I still write, like, oh, I, I still okay. write sometimes. Yeah. But. But you'll know, you know what I mean? Because, like, these, these lines are usually paired with them. Oh. But the pieces never last too long. Oh. Like, I feel like um, for the Instagram phase, like, when it first started coming out, everybody was all scared to, like, take pictures of their pieces, you know, and, like, yeah. put it, post them because, like, we were scared that, like, people were going to come after us. So I wish that I had taken more pictures of, like, the pieces that I did. 
Just yeah. to have evidence, no. <laughs> so, like, hold on, we're coming to the end of it. Oh, we got five minutes. I usually try to keep it an hour. Yeah. But, you know, are there any final... Oh, yeah. The final question. What does indigenous liberation mean to you? Oh, God. As long as no, you don't say, kidding. like, you know, economic, <laughs> I don't know, like, free market... It's all like, no. That <laughs> oh, sounds like a funny, funny Galician article. Indian market becomes free market. <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, you know, it, what does it mean to you? And I'm not going to be like, you're wrong. Right. You know, I'm, I'm open as long as you don't say like conservative shit. Or even, I mean, even liberal shit. I'll be like, all right then. All right then. All right then. <laughs> you guess you're not coming back to the podcast. <laughs> um, you know. What or, does indigenous liberation mean to me? What does it mean to me? Like, what do I, like, expect in the long yeah. run? Or, like, what does, like... However you want to take it. Oh, my gosh. That question is so vague. I don't even want to answer it. Just kidding. Damn. No, but, um... Or you don't have to. I'm not going to... I mean, like, I'm I want to... I'm not here to, holding a gun to you. Just I FYI. want to answer it. I want to answer it. But then, yeah. Well, I should just answer it, but... I feel like I'm so critical of that. Just even, like, indigenous liberation. You yeah. Know what I mean, like... I don't know. It's just a really big concept. And I think what does indigenous liberation mean to me is kind of just like what this whole podcast, everything I had to say in this podcast. Okay. Yeah. So if you want to know, re-listen to the podcast. Yeah. It just means that, um, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's totally fine. Like, I'm, I'm not one to force the subject on things. Unless it's like, like unless it's someone I really disagree on and they know we're going to debate. Yeah. I don't know, I've thought about having people I don't agree with on this podcast, mm-hmm. and I was just arguing, but I feel like it's You're just, just going to... Yeah, it's just going to be us arguing, and it won't be like, like yo, fuck you, clans aren't shit, I'm just kidding, no. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you. Do you have any final words you want to end on? Um, no. I think that's it. All right, so hopefully we'll, we'll have a part, we'll have, many, we'll have you again on this episode, we'll talk about, I don't know, maybe the, the political economy of... Santa Fe art market and how it relates to the romantic, the romantic ah, I can't say that word romanticist ah, you know what I'm trying to say <laughs> the fetishism of our struggle and our people they, it's all like that's my thesis <laughs> you have to go out with the the E the accent <laughs> oh yeah oh my god okay you have to share that one here okay let me let me how do I how do I I did it so well you're like one night at Frontier <laughs> alright hold on hold on let me see one night at Frontier. Eh. <laughs> oh, hold on, I can't laugh. Okay, it's hard. <laughs> All right, okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try it right now. She's getting her her Instagram. Okay, go for it. One night at Frontier. Eh. <laughs> I'm not doing that again. 